This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Whiskey Smash. It was recorded at West Overton Village in Scottsdale, PA. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. It would mean the world to us if you would share the podcast. Feel free to reach out to West Overton Village and our guests and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're broadcasting today from the West Overton Museum. I'm sitting down with Aaron. Aaron, what do you do with the West Overton Museum? What is your, what is your title? What, what's your uh, official reason for being here? Oh, gosh, yeah. My title is Education Director. I've worked here for seven years, and I've gone from a volunteer docent to a part-time paid lead docent, and now I'm in charge of all of our education and interpretation here. Now, the event we're at is Whiskey Smash. you got 200 people coming today, representative of a lot of whiskey distilleries, whiskey producers throughout the state of Pennsylvania. But there's really a lot of history that emanates from right where we are now and th- this building itself talk about a little bit about the history and what it means to whiskey production and how you get to tell that story sure so the building that we're inside of right now was a rye whiskey distillery that was built in 1859 and operated basically until prohibition was uh, put into effect in 1920 and the f- an old overhaul was the whiskey produced here Well, that's a pretty complicated question. Okay. Actually, the old overhaul was never, as far as we know, was never made in this particular building. Okay. Now, old overhaul as a whiskey brand did not exist until 1888. And it was made at this family company's sister distillery, an area called Broadford, near the city of Connellsville, just about a few miles away. Yeah, not too far away. And there's really not a lot to see what's left, but there is something remaining if you can find it or something, right? Yeah, you know what you're looking for. (laughs) You know what you're looking for. It's still there. So this building, uh, the Overholt Company made Overholt Whiskey. And then in the early 1900s, there was some rebranding and a new company started called West Overton Distilling Company. And they produced a whiskey called Old Farm in this building. But as far as we know, Old Overholt itself was not produced. Uh, Never here. produced here. As far as we know. Okay. And and you get to really educate people about the history here because there's a lot of history between the change in hands and families and everything else. Talk a little bit about the history and really more about what, what are your favorite points of the history? Like what stands out to you that you love to talk about and share with people? Sure. The history here is so vast and I'm sure a lot of sites say that. But this, from 1803, when the Overholt family moved here from Bucks County near Philadelphia, through 1920 and becoming a museum in 1928, 
there was so much change during that century plus. Um, this area in particular, this little village, started as a family farm, but by the 1870s, 1880s, had grown into an industrial village, mainly around this distilling company that grew over the century. But also, there was a coal mine here on this property with 110 coke ovens where uh, they produce metallurgical coke, a very important part of the And when you look outside, production. you still have some of those coke ovens still existing. So when people come to this village, they'll see a lot of history and what still remains from the working village. Right, yeah. Today we have about 20 buildings of what was 50 at one time. So in addition to those, there was also a coverlet weaving factory. So they made blankets here in this village. Um, and and the, the little area we're at, we have a lot of quilts and coverings, the coverlets yes, that were right yes. here. Uh, yeah, we're in the coverlet gallery right now. And so all of these were made here in this village by the family, uh, the weavers here. So in addition to that, there was, of course, all the auxiliary businesses needed to make those operate. I mean, just for the distillery, there was, of course, the farm to grow the grain. There was a railroad for for transporting the goods, the supplies, and the product. There was uh, cooperages to make the barrels. There was a mill to mill the grain to produce the whiskey. Um, for for coal and coke, of course, there is um, the the railroads and uh, all these other businesses that are needed to make these three main things operate. So all told, there were 50 buildings here, 200 people, their own post office, general store, school, and church. And that, that happened over the course of the 19th century. But my interest has always been coal and coke. Um, but over the last few years, as West Overton has really embraced its whiskey history, I too have become more interested in the whiskey history of this area and what West Overton can represent with that. Because in 1900, in Westmoreland County alone, there were 12 whiskey distilleries. So it was a huge industry in this area prior to Prohibition. So what was the reason why whiskey was produced? What was the catalyst for that? And when did they know they had a marketable product? To, to support it? Was it just initially something that you produced for the village, for the employees? How did that come to be a public product which was sellable? Did you mean hear us yeah. today at the museum? No, yeah. I mean, initially within the village, I mean, you talk about that initially it was, you know, for the Coke ovens and you had the, you know, your own post office and everything else. When was the decision? Because, you know, again, we're, we're, we're surrounded by these coverlets, these quilts. Yes. And that initially, as I understand, when they moved here from Bucks County, that was the source of how they started and what they sold, right? Yes, yes. So they were a family of farmers, but you can't farm every month of the year especially during the wintertime. So many farmers would do other things during the winter to occupy their time and also as a way to make more money. And so the Overholts, Abraham Overholt himself, um, the most iconic and the, the proprietor of this village, he was a weaver by trade. And so during the off-season when he wasn't farming, he was making these blankets. And another thing that they would do in the off-season is make whiskey. It was a, a use of their grain they had left over at the end of the season, but also any grain that they have does not store very well. It's susceptible to rot, to burning, I mean, to bugs, infestations. You know, it, it doesn't store very well. And also, it's difficult to transport. So, in the early days when uh, these farmers would need to travel across the state, possibly to sell their grain it's difficult to do that with all the volume of grain that they would have to carry in order to make a profit so to circumvent all of that they distill that grain into liquid grain whiskey so it was it's so much easier to transport a bottle right exactly, or, or, yeah. or a barrel <laughs> yes, absolutely a barrel that's right so uh, it started because of these farmers who as a supplement to their farming business or their their family farm 
they'd make whiskey. And for the Overholtz, around 1810, they, they said, well, we have a pretty good thing going here. Let's start to sell this product. And then from there to the 20s, 30s, and 40s, we see the distillery here continuously expanding. Their, their wooden log cabin building becomes encased in stone. They tear that down, build another building, another one. In the 1840s, they add a gristmill here on the property. And it all culminates in 1859 with this five-and-a-half-story building that housed both the gristmill and distillery all under one roof to really make their process of making whiskey more efficient. How did prohibition affect the distillation, the process, what what they were doing, what what impact did it have on them? It had an impact in that it shut everything down. So, did they have enough source of income from the ovens and what they were doing with the coke, or did it really just impact them tremendously and they had to shut everything down? So, by this time in 1920, the village is less of a singular, cohesive business, and more um, the businesses are separated. Some of the properties here are independently owned, and so definitely after 1920, and the distillery shut down, the coal mine becomes the main business here in the village. So just for this distillery, and of course every distillery, um, Prohibition completely shut them down. And in that way, I look at Prohibition, or I look at the distilling industry as um, a form of employment for a lot of people, whether it's the, the hundreds of people who work in the distillery here and in this county, or it's um, the farmers who are growing the grain. Again, the coopers making the barrels, glass workers making the bottles, etc. There are a lot of people who depend on the alcohol Absolutely. industry yeah. for their for their for their life, for their livelihood. And prohibition completely gutted all of that. And it's not a, not only not even ten years later that the Great Depression really put the final nail in the coffin for many of the industries in this area, particularly and especially the coal mining industry. Well, you really have an amazing display here in the full museum that takes you through prohibition and the impact of what that meant to the community, to the industry, to the marketplace, financially. Um, but you also talk about you know, really what it also meant, as I saw, to the resurrection of the spirit, you know, brewery, brewing, and things like that. There's a lot of interesting things to see when you come here to learn about the history, not only of West Overton, but of the the brewery industry and, and the spirit industry and to the revitalization of everything. And here we are today at Whiskey Smash. So what is this event all about? The Whiskey Smash, I would say, is a celebration of the revival of whiskey distilling in Pennsylvania, especially right here in um, southwestern Pennsylvania. So this year we have have six distilleries from from as far west as Washington and as far east as Philadelphia here in the museum, and uh, visitors can meet the distillers themselves, learn about the craft, they can taste some of the products that they make, they can buy bottles. We also have um, some great food, live entertainment, beer and wine, so there's a lot going here, but it's really a celebration of the revival of whiskey in Pennsylvania, and there's, there's really no better place to do that than this museum. And I was curious, how did the name come about, Whiskey Smash? So the Whiskey Smash is a cocktail that uh, I wish I could tell you more about, but it is a historic cocktail, and some years ago we decided that that's, there was a nice... Um, uh, a nice combination of smashing the mint leaf in your hand to make the cocktail and okay. also 
um, a name for a party, so it, it just seemed to make the most sense as a title. Well, you get you get a lot of enjoyment. I can tell. You, you could sit here and talk about the history, and, and, and you're really passionate about it, even when we first met, talking about the passion, the history of, of, of really what this means. Um, you know, where, where do you see yourself? You're, you're kind of the guide of history, and you bring that to light to people. Um, you know, what, what do you want people, when they come here, what do you want them to experience? What's the overall take that they you want to see them walk away with? Sure, sure. I think all of these stories that we have here boil down to um, an entrepreneurial spirit that the Overhold family had and people in this village had. Um, and taking what they have and building a business out of it. And in, in Abraham's case, building a fortune out of it. N- not including his grandson, Henry Clay Frick, who was a multi-multi-millionaire, but Abraham's himself not a very wealthy man, um, the richest man in this county, in fact. So I guess it boils down to um, this the entrepreneurial spirit of the Overhold family and making a business from their farm in the early 1800s to an industrial industrial village by the end of the century. I love that. And and just, I, I think our first visit here, I got that sense that you really wanted to convey. Um, and, and I walked out of here feeling, you know, revitalized in a way. Because it gives you a sense of, you know, you can do anything and look at the story and the history of this community. And when I say I was revitalized, look what's being done here today to revitalize this community Um, with events like this. And a lot of what you're doing with the new distillery here um, at, at West Overton. So I, I appreciate you taking some time and sitting down with the podcast. It's of great course. to have you, and great to have you as a new friend of uh, Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we let you get back to all the festivities? No, I don't think so. Okay. Just, uh, thanks for having me on, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Rob Huff. Liberty Pole Spirits, and it's also known as another name, yes? And so it is, uh, technically it's Mingo Creek Craft Distillers. Uh, that is the parent company, essentially it owns Liberty Pole Spirits, right? So I would try to avoid any brand confusion, and uh, it's essentially Liberty Pole Spirits, right? So you're here at Whiskey Smash. Yes, sir. And you're introducing people to Liberty Pole Spirits. Talk about your whiskeys. Talk about what you produce and what's yeah. coming off the still, yeah. Yeah. what you have here today to sample a little bit. I have your peated whiskey, yeah. which is phenomenal. That's what if, I have as well. You know, let's make the people outside of Pennsylvania jealous. Yep. Because if you're not able to get this outside of Pennsylvania, you need to come to Liberty Pole in Washington and try this. But talk about what uh, what you brought today and what people are getting a chance to sample. Awesome. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm really, really excited. Uh, but essentially, we're we're a distillery located in Washington, Pennsylvania, the home of the Whiskey Rebellion, right? So we've kind of made it our mission to make uh, Pennsylvania whiskeys historically accurate to Pennsylvania, right? We pot distill uh, Pennsylvania rye whiskey is kind of our bread and butter. Uh, we also make a couple bourbons and peated bourbons. Uh, peated bourbon is definitely a distillery favorite, right? Really rich. But uh, this pot still with locally grain uh, with locally produced grains allows us to make a really flavorful rich, viscous whiskey um, that we absolutely love. And you just rolled out your new still. You got yes. some new equipment that yes. you've been producing on. A lot more volume yes. to satisfy what people are looking for from your distillery. Yeah, exactly. So we were, we've were we been open for three and a half, almost four years now. Uh, we started with a 300-gallon system. We were essentially uh, barreling about 100 uh, gallons a week. Uh, these days, we uh, doubled in capacity. We barrel about 200 gallons of whiskey a week. So it was pretty important to us whenever we jumped up in size that the whiskey tasted exactly the same yeah, way because you it don't has. know no really until no. you start to produce it exactly and there's no real 
defined way to scale up a still and guarantee that it's going to taste the same. Absolutely. Um, but we took our best guess, right? We worked with a company uh, that helped uh, take our old still dimensions and we kind of scaled them up to what we both felt would be the best replica. And uh, I tell you what, they absolutely nailed it. So we're really excited with the whiskey coming off the new still um, and looking forward to the next couple of years. And you've got uh, a release that you brought here today. Yes, sir. What is that one that so, you're sharing with people? So that's our spiced whiskey. So essentially, um, in the uh, during the Whiskey Rebellion, um, what some of the distillers would have done, right, uh, to, especially to celebrate the holidays or in the winter months, is they would have spiced up some of their whiskey that they would have drank, right, for festive occasions. Um, and we've been trying to do this for a couple of years. My mom, um, Ellen, if Ellen, if you guys haven't <laughs> been to the distillery, uh, she's the genius behind it all. Has really, she has this awesome recipe for what they call an all-spice dram, and that's what they would have made during the Whiskey Rebellion. Um, except the only difference was they used white whiskey. We use aged whiskey, and uh, we've been trying for a long time, just haven't had enough whiskey or haven't had enough time. This year, we finally found the right barrels uh, and the right vat, and we went ahead and threw together an all-spice dram with this uh, aged whiskey that we could not be more proud of. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit. It's almost like an old-fashioned in a bottle. Yes. But it's almost it's almost got that rock and rye. If, if you're familiar with a rock and rye, yep. it's not as sweet, Yep. and it's got a little more alcohol-forward presentation, um, a little more of the spicy notes, a little bit more of the proof to it than you would be the... So if you're looking to find something perfect for those whiskey bourbon drinkers, whiskey drinkers for the holidays, yep. this is what you want to get. Yep. Also, the peated whiskey. Uh, I can't speak enough of the peated bourbon whiskey. It's just phenomenal. Um, it's one of my favorites. But you've also got the bourbon cream yes, sir. you brought today. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's a, that's definitely a distillery favorite. So that we started two years ago, um, brought it back last year, and then brought it back again this year. So it's become an annual tradition right around Halloween, Thanksgiving time. We put out a couple bottles of bourbon cream uh, gets everybody through the cold winter months so it works out really nicely so you mentioned just a second ago a couple yep. seconds ago you've mentioned it twice yeah the whiskey rebellion yeah what if people don't know what the whiskey rebellion is yeah that's what you know, you ought to come down to washington um and check out the history uh that the david bradford museum has but essentially the whiskey rebellion uh without going into too much detail was almost a second revolutionary war right so the uh, the government the united what? states you mean there was a second revolutionary no, there war was in not. the united no, states no there was not it was squashed george washington handled it pretty well okay uh, unfortunately for us western pennsylvania you know we don't learn this stuff. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's what we're missing in history. We, we go right from the Revolutionary War, bam, and then there's a Civil War. Yeah. That's all that ever yeah. happened yeah. between the 1700s and the 1800s. Yep. War and war, and nothing happened in between. Yep. Right? Yep. And now there's this whiskey rebellion that yep. people are going to hear on the podcast. Yep. Going, Wait, yeah. I need to get to Washington because there's an event that happens yep. every year. When is that coming up in 2020? So I don't know the exact dates, but it's usually the first or second weekend in July. Okay. So usually right around July 9th through the 12th, uh, something like that. So first or second weekend in July. Um, it's an absolute blast. They bring in a lot of different whiskey distillers, uh, bring in a lot of different cool uh, vendors, uh, food trucks, um, have reenactments of major whiskey rebellion scenes uh, end with the uh, ceremonial tar and feathering of a tax collector nice. to kind of we should do the- that we should like I don't want to upset the IRS but maybe just the reenactment yeah uh, maybe a little bit more reality to it yeah. if, if you say that yeah if we can do that yeah um, other now, I'm just a little concerned about where the IRS may be going and I, where I might be living these days. Yeah. So that yeah. that's okay. Yeah. So the Whiskey Rebellion, you've got this whole event in July. Think about it. It's July. It's hot. And you go to all these producers and say, hey, we're going to tax you. Not probably the best idea somebody could have had, right? Exactly. You know, when exactly. you go back and say, you know what? 
we may have needed to rethink that. If 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 George Washington had Twitter back then, yep. can you imagine what would have happened? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you've got other events going on at Liberty Pole. What what what? You got some releases. What yep. else is going on? Yep. That you want so to share with t- t- today was the release of our spiced whiskey. Um, we'll go through the uh, we'll go through the Christmas season with standard uh, Fridays and Saturdays with cocktails. Um, we've got the next major event, which is probably our favorite event that we do. Uh, we call it the Liberty Pole ceremony, right? So it kind of kicks off. And when is that? So when it's, that it's in June. June. Okay. So it's in June. So plenty of time to get out. So for what it. you're saying is show up and get your hotel or your Airbnb in June. Stay through the Whiskey Rebellion in July. Head over to Pittsburgh. You got some pirate games to exactly. see. Hockey's still going on because that's a year-round sport. And, you know, it starts in July. It ends in June. Yep. You know, and Plenty of stuff to keep you busy yeah. for a month. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But anyway, so in, so in early June, we actually set up a Liberty Pole out front of our distillery. You right? still have one there. That's what, it's, a, yeah. it's about two stories tall. Yep. Right? The city of Washington, the police shut down the roads for us. We marched the thing from... David Bradford, the leader of the Whiskey Rebellion, from the back of his house, two blocks down to our distillery. We set it up out front of our distillery. Um, everybody's in the street. They all cheer uh, about how we're not going to pay this tax. And then we all go in and toast, you know, to independence and the rebellion. So, you know, I'm thinking you do that in June, but let's do that every day. It's yeah. like, you know, you, instead of raising the flag, the American flag, you do a ceremony yeah. and you just do the Liberty Pole. You yeah. come inside, you toast. Yeah. And then everybody just enjoys. Yeah. It's a great way to start the day. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, I completely agree, and I actually have been I've been telling the family at Liberty Pole that one of these quarters we ought to not pay our tax, right? If only for five minutes. See, we're, right? we, you and I are going to both be. We, we can either share a jail cell, or you that's, can be right next I, to me. I tell you what, everyone, you're the first person that I told this to that didn't tell me it was a horrible idea. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure how to take that, but uh, that's what no, I, I can't pay your taxes. I, I can't imagine the publicity that Whiskey Rebellion themed distillery actually whiskey rebels. Yeah. I think it would be worth. It. So right now, ne- I, never going to happen, unfortunately. Right. I, I think just keep paying your taxes. Yeah, making this phenomenal whiskey. You guys are just what what you're doing. Your family's doing. Uh, your dad, Jim. Your mom, Ellen, and the whole you know everybody there at, at, at what, what's happening with whiskey uh, with Liberty Pole and whiskey. It's just it's just a treat to get to know you, Rob. Thanks for some time with I, us, and uh, look forward to just sharing the spirits and enjoying everything. I know you've got some special things that are coming out. Look for those releases. If you haven't gotten a Washington, if you haven't gotten a Liberty Pole, do make it part of your plan to get there. Awesome. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. You got it. Thank you. Alicia Monroe, you are, I'm going to say the head distiller, but there's so much more that you do. Talk about what you do here at West Overton. So I started here at West Overton Village and Museums about two and a half years ago um, as an administrative coordinator. Um, Quickly kind of took on a lot of functions like HR, staff management, um, helping our CEO with strategic decision making and planning um, and became the chief of staff. And around that time, our distillery project kind of was at a, an impasse. It was, you know, a lot of hurdles to get over. So what were some of the hurdles that, that created that impasse? When they initially set out to do the distillery, the architect that drew the plan drew a half a million dollar bill. Um, as a nonprofit, it's hard for us to garner funding, especially hard when that funding is for the production of alcohol. There's still a little bit of a stigma um, behind the spirits industry. And so the project kind of, you know, Jessica was really working towards getting over the hump and it was frustrating. And I said, well, I'm kind of fresh at this. Let me take a stab at it. 
So project management of this distillery became something that I was working on. Um, I helped source our boiler. Um, I helped fa- find a contractor that was a little bit more economical, kind of scaled back some of the the fixture build that was planned over there. Um, got it submitted to labor and industry, pivoted to a different architect that was willing to scale it back to something that maybe wasn't as like great for his portfolio. Well, Jimmy talk about your experience or your exposure or your education in, in, in producing spirits, distilling. <laughs> what was it before then? So it, it wasn't really. So I, I, you know, I've worked a lot of um, jobs that collectively gave me really great experience. So I was in healthcare for eight years. I was in nursing school. Um, I worked in emergency rooms for eight years. That gives you critical thinking skills like you wouldn't believe. Um, I'm fast on my feet. I don't ever panic because I've been in life and death situations. So when you remove you from those life and death situations and someone has this very panicky thing, it's like, well, is somebody dying? No, nobody's dying. Right. Distilling so, isn't dying. I mean, nobody's going to die. Well, hopefully. Let's hopefully. Right. Right. <laughs> so I, I carried the project management through, got our boiler installed, got our still set in place, and then was ready to hand it over to somebody that would be the distiller. And when our still manufacturer came down from Maine, um, Jesse Lupo from Trident Stills, um, I was just here and I asked a lot of questions. I like to know how everything works. And he pulled my boss, Jessica Katie Barkley, aside and said, that's your distiller. And I kind of thought... That's high praise. I mean, (laughs) mean, look, it's almost like saying you built the baby here. And then you were going to give that up to say, here's here's your Ferrari, like you know, here's here's that big toy everybody wanted to play with. Yeah. And you give it up, and they say, no, it's yours. What I Alicia them, should be. This is yours. What I told them was, I I will do that. But mo- most things here, kind of, I bundle it up. I, I make a plan. I make a standard operating procedure, and then we hire somebody um, to carry that through. So, for instance, we're a wedding venue as well. So I kind of build our. This is a beautiful spot. If you're going to have an event here, Every day it's wonderful. I get out of my car. I'm thankful. There, There is no more beautiful place that I can work. And I live two two miles from here. So I... You have I, no excuse if it snows that you can't get here. No. I can walk. <laughs> I can probably walk just to put some snow juice on. And, right. Um, but so... With the critical thinking skills, with my kind of science interest background, when they said, you know, you're the logical choice for this, my only rule was that they can't take it back. Unless I mess it up, that we couldn't get to a spot to say, like, okay, great, you figured out the mash bill, you figured out the cook process, now we're going to put someone else in that role. Because with everything else, I'm, I'm, I like to move from project to project, I get bored easily. But with this, I said, if if I'm going to do it, I'll do it, but I want to keep it. So how many days right now are you distilling? I mean, how many days are you focusing? I mean, have you gotten, have you fired up the still? Have you put something in a barrel? Where are you in the project? So we had um, two mash sessions um, in, say, late July. Um, and then we distilled six times off of those two mashes. So we have about 50 gallons of um, low wine. So something that's been stripped once but needs to run through the still again. We had a little bit of an impasse um, with labor and industry. We need to change our occupancy use type. Okay. So, now, what does that mean? Why Why would that need to be holding you up? Apparently, they had done some construction to that building in about 2011. Okay. And at that time, they said, okay, you can use this structure. It was built in, like, 
I'm not the history person here, but in the 1850s. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily made for what is today's industrial distilling of what you're doing right now, right? Right. It's a small brick barn um, with a concrete floor. It's beautiful. The beamwork in it is phenomenal. What we have an event space in the second floor. As soon as we get through occupancy, um, we'll be able to have small gatherings there, just like we do here. So they said, well, it's okay to bring about 15 people through for a tour, but you can't occupy the building. You can't be in the building for an extended period of time. So when you're distilling, you need to be there for quite a we number of hours. A 12-hour yeah, day right. on that still. Um, so just to make sure that we're covered by insurance, that we're doing everything right, that we're right with the law. I mean, we have our TTB permit. We're great with the PLCB. All of that stuff's in line. Um, we just had two labels approved. Awesome. Um, our third one, I just have to make a little correction on. And that one will be good, too. Um, and hopefully by spring, our occupancy comes through, and I'll get some spirits in a bottle. And So the first thing you're going to do is a white whiskey? Yes. Okay, and... Then you're going to start to barrel. We are. We're going talk to talk about the three. So three labels. So talk about the three products you're producing. So the white whiskey. Um, well, it's not actually technically a whiskey. Okay. It's an unaged spirit. Gotcha. Made from rye and malted barley. Um, same mash bill as our aged product. So our aged product is going to be aged in a 30 gallon barrel with a medium char and a level three toast. We think it'll take about 12 months. It says um, aged for at least a year. So we'll. we'll leave it in there for at least 12 months and then that'll be our Monongahela style rye whiskey so for those that may be listening somewhere else what is a Monongahela style rye whiskey what oh makes the Monongahela I, I know I so wait, remember think, you're a nurse you can you can think fast on your feet I know you weren't ready for that question go yeah, ahead I need I need a, a phone a friend to get yes. Sam Conlenick over here <laughs> he, he is my advisor and my my cheerleader I mean I don't know if any of you know what Sam looks like but to think of him with some pom-poms he is just a constant source of information and positivity for me um, but he would be the Pennsylvania whiskey historian and he has told me that a Monongahela is a rye whiskey that is predominantly rye, so we have 80% rye in our mash bill, 20% malted barley. It is aged in a temperature-controlled structure, so our distillery is heated all year round, and that will change. He says it gives it a creamier character. Uh, That'd be interesting, and, and as you learn and as you experience and explore the effect on the barrel and the heat, you know, you know, keeping the climate all year round. Right. It'll be an interesting experience to see, you know, how that whiskey ages and, and how it tastes through those months of or even years of being held in the barrel. Yeah, so the climate control is key. Um, all the warehouses here were brick warehouses. They were steam heated. They had a constant temperature. So that's something we're trying to replicate. That, the mash bill, the local water. Um, and I, I don't think I'm missing anything. I, okay. I know with the yeast, it's important that we use something that's maybe a strain that hasn't been selectively bred, uh, like a turbo yeast or something that, that really um, has been messed around with. Um, so we want to do something with maybe a red star yeast or something in that line that's just a traditional kind of yeast that hasn't been selectively bred for certain flavors or certain speeds. Um, you really have, have... It's like, hey, by the way, we're giving this to you. Now you need to learn all... The- 
that's fascinating. It is. I mean, even going down, like, let's talk about yeast, right? Because there's so many characteristics as far as what it imparts and how it's, you know, taking the sugars and eating the sugars and and turning those into alcohol. I mean, even even the knowledge and education, and I'm sure you're, you're learning, you're trying, you're experiencing to see how that yeast affects how that juice is going to, you know, really, really, you know, One of be the developed. Things, um, so we, we do group tourism here at Westoverton. We see, you know, 50-person tour buses maybe three to five times a year. We're kind of building into more and more. And we've incorporated the distillery into those tours. So something that I've been able to do is scale down a mash to a one-gallon mash as opposed to a 150-gallon mash. And then I can try out different types of yeast. So a few days before the bus group comes, I'll start it fermenting so they can see the difference in the viscosity and the smell between a fresh mash that I'll cook up the morning that they come and one that's been fermenting for a few days. And other than, you know, being able to give them that hands-on experience where they can smell it and touch it and taste it, it's also allowing me to play on a smaller scale where I'm not wasting a lot of materials, not, not using a lot of grain, but I can say, I got a new yeast this week. Um, what does it do, you know, what is the alcohol yield that I get from this versus maybe the Pinnacle M that I tried last last month. So, so you talked about one is going to be a Monongahela-style rye. And I just, you know, as I'm thinking, what people get to understand, and I talked to Aaron here, your, your historian, um, what people get to understand here is you're actually a living history museum. Now you've taken the idea of spirit production and you get to have people come who's never, I mean, how many people get to experience what a mash build is and see what it looks like through the fermentation process and you get to have them understand that. You really get to impart a lot of knowledge and how does that feel for you to be part of history and to be a part of the West Overton history and the mark you're making on that. What is it? Do you realize that? Do you ever stop and think, wow, I'm part of history? But sometimes I pinch myself. Good. I mean, it's, it's, I I tell people that I'm distilling on hallowed ground. Um, Abraham Overholt walked the halls of this building that we're sitting in now. And this is not a place of history that's been rebuilt or reconditioned to look like something. This is the building that he built. He probably stood where we're sitting right now. Imagine that. It's crazy. He was sitting down to a podcast, just like you and I. (laughs) (laughs) But he, you know, uh, my office is in his home and my distillery is in his stock barn. So it's connecting with that and trying to honor that in everything that we do and then honor also the role that we play as an educational facility that shows people why the history of here is important um, what the the men and women here why, why were they important why were they so successful they were entrepreneurs they had this grit this entrepreneurial spirit that we try to impart to everything that we do so whenever we think about our tours and the experience we want to give the guests, I don't want this to be a place where they come and I point and go, that's the mash tank, that's where it ferments, yeah. look at this still. I want to tell them that um, this Although is there the, are people that get geeked out well, on knowing, hey, you know, talk about your still and where'd you get that from and why do you, why'd you make that still, well, all those things. We go one step further and we say, this is why we selected this particular mash bill. We, we want the spiciness of the rye 
and the, the malt has enzymes that help convert the starch to sugar. We talk about long chain starch molecules versus short chain glucose molecules and the readiness of yeast to eat the shorter chain molecules and produce the alcohol. We talk about um, the hydrometer. We talk about the different instruments. We're getting a microscopy station where you will actually be able to look at our yeast. Um, we want this to be a science-based experience as an educational kind of tourism destination. I never want this to be someplace that someone can say, woohoo, whiskey, I yeah. bet you all get drunk at work. It's so much more than that. There's so much science. There's so much chemistry. There, there's just endless. I could talk at them for five if, hours. If, if my science class were to have come here for a field trip, it would have probably changed the direction of where my life would have gone. I think that's fair. I, I think look, if there are any science teachers out there, you need to make Westoverton Village a destination. Look, let's face it. We we consume fermented products all the time. We consume distilled products. I mean, when you look at distilled products, isn't just about the spirits. I mean, you could talk about gasoline and in different chemicals that affect and perfume and ethanol. Ethanol so, is really... Right. So, look, if you want your kids to get excited about science, bring them to West Overton to learn about all that. And I think that's great that you get to share that and educate the public about that. And I think inside of the next Except year... Except no tasting for those kids. No, no tasting. <laughs> In the next year to two years, I think we can really put something together that that fits for maybe a high school class field trip. Um, but the adults that come on the bus trips, and, and you're looking at maybe like 55 to 75 year olds, they're, they're so into it. And they, yeah. they don't expect to get that science. They don't expect to get that chemistry from it. And what I like to say is if, if a family comes here to West Overton and they plan ahead and we schedule you know, the distillery tour because it is only during certain times. You can't just pop in um, as yet. Probably that'll be coming next year. Saturdays we might be open for just walk-in tours. But if you're going to bring your family here, you should there should be a piece of this that resonates with everyone. You know, maybe mom is a history buff and really wants to know about the architecture and the years that buildings were constructed and, and maybe um, their daughter really likes plants and flora and fauna and we'll yeah, have you our gardens. gardens out here? And we're, we're moving towards a more horticultural uh, interpretive plan that would talk about how the Overholtz garden and, and how their, their lawn and their different vegetable crops work. Um, and, and what if somebody's really into science? They're, right now, up until this point, there really wasn't anything here for them. Um, but with the distillery now, that's another way that we can engage with a subject manager, man, like a subject that really hits home for somebody. So if they're looking to go into um, engineering or they're looking to go into like chemical sciences, you know, this should really speak to them. And we want to make sure that we're speaking to them with authority and getting all of the facts right. I, I think that's it's going to be so exciting. And I think what you bring to the... I understand the history of it, but going to the craft distilling, the craft spirits industry, I mean, you're on the poor tour, right? right? So if you're coming to Western Pennsylvania, there are quite a number of not just distilleries, but you have wineries and breweries. I mean, we're an hour from, from Pittsburgh, and you've got, we, we, we spoke to Liberty Pole, and Washington is not that far, um, and, and you've got a real good, strong um, amount of places that you can tour 
and enjoy a lot of the things that are being made, and you're really part of it. So what are the other two products, what are the two spirits that you're producing? So we'll bottle a white whiskey, right? Um, and then the... We were motivated because we, we've we been asked year over year, this has been a project that's been about five years in the making, when are you going to have whiskey to sell? And we will have the white whiskey this year, but we wanted to give some something that was tastier, something that was more akin to what people think of when they think of a rye whiskey. So we partnered with Dad's Hat. Gotcha. Herman Mihalich. Yes. Um, and Herman is so... so so kind to us. He let me come out. Um, I've distilled with him, um, sought how he goes through his process. Uh, any questions that I have, you know, he's on my speed dial, along with a few of the other distillers in this room, like Stolen Wolf and Liberty Pole. They're, they're all so welcoming. Red Pump, anything that I need, any questions that I have, please call. You know, I always say, I don't want to bother you. You're not bothering us. So they are my whiskey education. So Herman was a very natural fit for this because he is also running an 80-20 mash bill as we are. He is distilling in the Monongahela style uh, and we've been friendly with him for quite a few years. So we purchased a 15-gallon barrel. Um, we're waiting on the permitting to come through now and that'll be here probably by January and it'll be the first thing that we bottle uh, alongside the white whiskey and so then we'll have a white and an aged product. It'll be distilled by Herman um, out at Mountain Moral Spirits and bottled by us here at West That is so exciting. And and so you got to start to think ahead as to when the big release party is going to be. What's the name of the label? Who, who What are you flying under so people understand that? So our brand is West Overton Distilling. Super easy to remember. Right, super easy. And the, the white is Pennsylvania... I just had to change the name to comply with CTP. Okay. They never make anything easy. Um, It's Pennsylvania White Rye, and the age product that is made here will be Monongahela Rye Whiskey. And the specialty barrel that we got from Dad's Hat is going to be called Jasper Stash. Oh, so all right. So what's the? I got to ask. I mean, there we could talk all night, and I know you've got a lot. You've got some great um, other distilleries here, and and, you know you got to talk to them and you know look there's going to be 200 people here so I know you want to spend some time with them by the way the food from Elegant Catering um, is just fantastic so we have Elegant Catering yep we have Leo's Pub and Grill and we have Carson's Catering and they all work our weddings so whenever we have a big event I mean they're practically throwing food at me I, we don't have to pay for anything from them they donate all of it uh, the food is phenomenal I, I mean they're, they're just first rate so when you come and you book your event here you know you're going to get some great food not, not not to mention you know there's some really nice uh, entertainment there's somebody singing a lot of yeah. you know music here going on Jeannie Poole and the Rockabillies will be going on soon um, with uh, the Jasper stash um, just to give you a, a cute little story so we have this two-headed cow uh, that's taxidermied and mounted in the gift shop I don't know if you noticed him but his name is Jasper and he's been with West Overton as long as anyone can remember um, senior citizens will sometimes come in and say oh I remember Jasper from when I was a child and we came on a field trip. He is proudly displayed in the gift shop and we thought what better ambassador for our first aged bottled product than Jasper. So he is on the label. 
there and, and we're excited. It's 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 lighthearted and fun, and um, I think it's really fitting for what we're doing. Here. I, I I can't ask for a better way to really introduce the world to something like that than to bring the history back, yes. and that's what you're doing. Entrepreneurial spirit, history. A nurse that's almost, now it's now a head <laughs> distiller, right? I love. I mean, talk about the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, you get to now fire up the still, play with different mash builds, play with yeast strings. I love it, and Brett, you know, so so humbled and grateful for the opportunity to come and, and visit with Whiskey Smash today, and invite you to be you know part of the fermented adventure. So this is this is like a journey. It's like. You know where where we started and the people we get to meet and just the wonderful experiences we have and uh, so so it's it's I'm looking forward to the conversations that we're going to get to have moving forward um, through the next couple of years. So is there anything I didn't ask you or is there anything you want to touch upon that people should know or, or things you know start getting your tickets now for next year's whiskey smash? It's going to be big. We should have a, a spring opening for our distillery and tasting room. Um, fingers crossed that that all comes together. Um, there are probably at least 15 staff members here that I could not do anything. Your staff, uh, everybody our, our here. Our staff is phenomenal. Awesome. Um, awesome. Jessica Katie Barkley, our CEO, our board of directors. I mean, they are all just behind us 100% of the way. And I, I couldn't be luckier to work with a better crew of people in a more beautiful place. So um, we'll have to go up and check out the distillery while you're here. Um, and then, uh, yeah. Awesome. Alicia, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Go enjoy the festivities in, in, of Whiskey Smash, and we look forward to just all the great things that are happening here at West Overton. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Jim Wolf of Stolen Wolf, thanks for stopping by to sit down and talk to us here at Whiskey Smash. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Time. Stolen Wolf. So, we just came off of about two months ago the rose and rye distillation. How's that going? How's the rose and how's it how's it doing in the uh, barrel? I've been tempted to open it to look at it, but I'm not allowed to. No, they've they've off limits. Uh, my son, my daughter-in-law, Laura Patrizio, would probably be very upset, so we we let it go. So you do you you are allowing people to taste the white dog, the white whiskey of the yes. rose, right? So you yes, are tasting some of that, and 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 what's been the re- response to that? People are shocked. What is the what is so what's the response? What are they shocked by? People are shocked how smooth it is. Right. And what we have done recently is we've uh, taken some of our white dog, our hundred proof white dog, regular side by side taste, and there is a specific difference. Yeah, I I found that when we tried it just right off the stool, it was nice and sweet. I, I just loved it. I, I just, I'm, I'm so excited. I mean, I know every, like you said, you're not allowed to, t- you're not allowed to look at it, not allowed to taste it. Now, now, you know, like, Stolen Wolf. I mean, you, you're, you're also doing other releases. It's not just the Rose and Rye, and, and you have a great history. You're, you're just releasing other things. Tell me about what other uh, products you have that you're just releasing. We just ran our first bourbon. That. Uh, Dick Stoll specified. Uh, it's his recipe. He also specified we use absolutely no enzymes. Now, what does that mean? For, so for, we did that know. old school. Okay. Like he did it. Now, now, what does that mean to the the juice to what you're distilling without enzymes? What does that really produce? Well, basically, with with enzymes, they're added during the mashing process, during the mixing process, especially with rye whiskeys. 
you need enzymes because it gets really thick. Okay. The rye gets really thick. And what happens with the enzymes, it helps break it down. Whereas with Dick's recipe, corn reacts differently than rye. So a lot of those enzymes are not necessary because you're more a lot more corn than you are. So what's the mash build on this that you're producing that you're allowed to do that or trying to do that? I asked you a hard I asked you a hard question. Didn't off I? the top of my head, I would say we are looking at seventy percent corn. Okay. 20% rye, 10% malted barley. Malted barley. But without enzymes. Without any enzymes. And this is something now that you just distilled or you've now released to the public? We just distilled this. Okay, so when can we expect as a public, when can we expect to try that? Uh, I don't believe we're going to release any as a white dog. Okay. Although the white dog is very good. It is very good. Okay. It's scary good. It's, it's a horrible job that you have, isn't it? And... Uh, Dick was very well pleased, which is always our benchmark. Okay, if he's happy. If he's happy, it doesn't matter what, of course, what I say. Right. <laughs> and, of course, Aviana and Eric are both. He knows. He's the dude. He knows. Yeah. So uh, he was happy. So Stolen Wolf, you're in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. Yes. And you've got other uh, items that you're distilling and producing. We're working now uh, to start fermenting an apple brandy. Wonderful. That's something that people have been pesting us to do. What what what, what is it about time. the apple brandy that people are looking for you to do? You know, it was uh, it was something they did back 1700s. Okay. Uh, even if they didn't distill it. Yeah, because what they had was apples coming off. Right. At the orchard, end of season, where things would fall on the ground, you couldn't sell those. Absolutely. And now you have something. you you got to use everything. You literally have to make good of everything because it's all money that's coming off those, uh, Absolutely. Off those the, out of the orchard, off the trees. And what's interesting is we have a, a historical and genealogical connection to that. The land that the distillery is located on was owned by my sixth grade uncle, Johann George Klein. Wow. From the 1730s. He sold that land to the Moravians for the town of Lidditz. The land that we're on, it was actually an apple orchard. That so so are you are you calling this anything specific? Will there be a special name? Have you had an idea to talk about that? That's that's something that uh I've got some ideas on, but we really haven't discussed yet because we're going to be aging it in rye barrels. Wow. So we're going to have a, a period of time to discuss that. So this is hugely something that really people can look forward to. Everything that look, you guys are doing what you're doing, but it's really a first-rate, special quality product. If you haven't had anything by Stolen Wolf, you really need to make it a a, a purposeful, uh, intentional uh, opportunity to do. I'm really excited about the apple brandy, and so is Dick. I mean, he he's like a kid in a cans. I'm sure. I'm sure. He just is. You finally did the apple brandy. You've been promising <laughs> me for six months. I'm like. So we're doing our best here. We did your bourbon. You can't pest me about that anymore. Right. <laughs> we did your brandy. <laughs> it's like, oh. You got rose and rye. What else could you ask for? You know, he's he's just an incredible guy because he's got all this knowledge. Right. Just, 
and we want to challenge him. We want to find something he doesn't know anything about. You know, and, 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 and think about it. And you talk about Dick, and we had him on the podcast, and, and he's just a genuinely humble, really delightful man, very happy. And, and one of the things I sense is when you talk about his knowledge, it's not just what's in his head. It's what's in his palate. Oh, yeah. So if he tastes what you're producing yeah. and, and, and sharing that, and he gives it a seal of approval, you're coming from that palate, that history that really establishes something that's going to be great. You know, there's, uh, every, of course, everybody's palate's different. Some of the tasty notes I've heard from some recent experts, whiskey experts, are, are just crazy, some of their descriptions. But, uh, I mean, Dick did this professionally for 40 years. Right. So, I mean, he's got this... This thing is just refined. It's a special gift. So what does Whiskey Smash mean to you? Uh, what does it mean to Stolen Wolf to be a participant here this year or in the past years? Well, it's interesting, Rich, because I'm a history nut. My wife's a genealogy nut. We were put on the Whiskey Rebellion Trail back in the springtime. So back east where we're from, we're related to 21 distilling families from way back Either by blood and we're going to explore that on another podcast at it's some point because that's crazy. that's just a phenomenal conversation that people need to learn and know. So I explained to my wife about the Whiskey Rebellion, the Whiskey Rebellion Trail. So she's like, "Gee, I wonder if we're related to anybody that moved out that way." So she started poking around, and of course, the answer is yes. I, th- I think what's going to come out, and, and I love the idea that they've created this Whiskey Rebellion Trail. And as the Pennsylvania distillery industry grows, and, and let's face it, we were first. As, as I say, we as a Pennsylvania resident, I mean, before Kentucky, right. before Tennessee, before all the other producing spirit uh, you know, states, right. Pennsylvania was it. And this was you know, where it all founded and started. When we start putting together this whiskey rebellion trail, and yeah. people get to have that experience, for especially you know with what's coming off of the stills at Stolen Wolf, they're gonna they're gonna try products that they just didn't realize that were available in the market. It's it's crazy because uh, of course West Overton with Abraham Overhaul. Yes, uh, we were related to him. His family used to be Overholzer from Berks County and Lancaster County. Changed their name to Overhaul. Uh, the Frick family were related to them from back Lancaster County and uh, Berks County. And it, it, these revelations just keep on coming back. And, so you, uh, you really had all this uh, distillation in your blood. It is crazy because all, all these different weird disconnected things are coming together and it's like this thing was supposed to happen I can't explain it and 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 so you're you're putting that together with your family and and we are here we're part of you know ancestors of yours really walk these halls walk these buildings right it's it's crazy how does that feel for you to to come back to that sense of history in your family you know it, it it doesn't change your life, but it changes the way that you look at things. Right. I mean, and once you understand the basic principles, and these, these people knew each other back in the old country, regardless of where they came from. And when they came to this country, they hung out with people they knew and trusted and were related to. And, of course, intermarried. Uh, 
They taught people the different technologies that they had available. Everybody had a function and a purpose. So when you were a kid growing up, you did what your parents did or your grandparents did, and you learned that technology. And that's just the way it was. Yeah, it's just a whole different world we have today, right? Yeah, but to experience that today and to be here and really have a knowledge of that connection, and it sounds like you're learning all the time. And one of the things we talk about, we talk to you know the people here, Aaron and Alicia, and you get a sense of the history and bringing you here, Jim, and and talking to people. This this there's history that emanates here that touches people. They just don't understand or know how it affects them. And it. It just gets crazier and crazier because the people, like, I mean, we just met you. Right. But how, you know, how did you get interested in this? And you start exploring that and, you know, what guided you into this? And that's kind of the way we're looking at it. Eric decided he was in the restaurant business. He decided he was going to open up a distillery. Came back and said, I'm moving back to Lenin's. I said, what do you know about distilling? And he said, not much. I said, you better find somebody that does. <laughs> okay. And he, he couldn't have found somebody, you know, better, just, just a stone's throw Dick away. Dick Stoll. Yeah. Dick Stoll. And that, that set off the whole curiosity. We interviewed Dick. He's trained by Charles Everett Bean, who came up from Kentucky. One of Joe Bean's seven sons. Uh, good friend of his. They hunted. They fished together. They worked together for quite a few years. Four years ago, we found out we're related to the Beam family. Okay. Dick Stoll's also related to the Beam so, so I'm family. saying, you you have it so ingrained in your blood and the history of your family. Well, Dick Dick found out he was related to Charles Everbeam, the guy that was, 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 was teaching him how to make, make whiskey. Totally blew him away. I mean, it really affected him. He had a dream. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, but... You already started. You might uh, as well. Yeah. Soon after that revelation, Dick had a dream that he was working in a distillery. Doing his thing, distilling. Guy comes in, says, hey, Dick, there's somebody here to see you. Looks over, there's a guy standing there with his back turned towards him with a hat on. Dick finished what he was doing and goes over and talks to the guy. Taps him on the shoulder and says, I understand you want to talk to me. The guy turned around. It was Charles Everbeam. Oh, okay. He wow. Said, what are Came you back doing? in his dream. What are you doing, Dick? Distill a whiskey. Can I taste some of it? Yep. Taste some of it. He goes, you're doing a good job. Dream's over. Wow. And he just was like stunned. He said it was so real. Hey, look, dreams are, you know, they tell, they, they, they give you an indication of where you're going. It's, it's been crazy. And here's what I know. Eric had a dream. Dick has provided, you know, the knowledge and the experience to help that dream along. Yeah. You're involved in that dream and, and it only just keeps getting better, right? I mean, this is a dream you just don't want it to end and, and you just enjoy every moment it happens. It's just, uh, I mean, even, even with all the difficulties we've been through, getting this thing going has has all been part of the journey and along the way you start to think about things in retrospect and it's like well gee I think things happened this way to force us in this direction 
It's just been incredible. Well, you guys are, you know, Stolen Wolf, Lititz, Pennsylvania. Jim Wolf, you guys are going in a fabulous direction. Thanks for taking some time to sit down with us on Fermented Adventure, the podcast, and just look for uh, looking for that, that Dick Stoll bourbon release and the Apple brandy release and all the great things in, in, that, that have to be coming our way from uh, Stolen Wolf. Come, and, come on down and visit us, and we'll give you a sneak preview of all of them. Awesome. Thanks for spending some time. Thank you, Rich. Thanks. Sam Comlenick, Pennsylvania whiskey historian. Indeed. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We're delighted to have you. And we're here at Whiskey Smash. So so what does Whiskey Smash mean to you and, and your experience here? Whiskey Smash, what, what the Whiskey Smash means to me is publicizing the incredible resource that we have here at West Overton Village. Um, I'm proud to be a board member at West Overton. I've uh, been that for three years. And um, to me, to be able to walk the same hallway that were trod by Abraham Overholt and Henry Clay Frick uh, sends chills down my spine every time I'm here. I, I can feel and it. To bring, and yeah. to bring the public in and to show them what we have and to show them that it's based in fun and entrepreneurialism and so much more is just a wonderful thing for me. So what does Pennsylvania Whiskey Historian, what, is that, what does that mean for you? I mean, like, how did you get involved? I, I want to start, I, I know my, I want to ask my, you a hundred questions, but I know our time is limited. My dad worked for a small regional brewery, the Jones Brewing Company, for 35 years. I grew up at that brewery. Um, I've, been in, uh, I've been interested in beverage alcohol all my life. And um, I originally started out working on brewery history, but I quickly found out that there were others uh, that were pursuing that same end. And I thought, well, I don't need to duplicate this, so what else is there? And the tiny town that I grew up in, very near here, Ruffsdale, still has a standing distillery building there, the Dillinger Distillery. Um, on which I have become the authority because it was a very important distillery in its time. What made that distillery so important? It's the only known, it's the only American distillery known to have been built, to have been rebuilt after Prohibition to include giant pot stills. Now, why is is that significant? Because every other American distillery that even had used pot stills prior to Prohibition, by the time Prohibition had been repealed, um, the, the methods for making whiskey on a column still had so far surpassed the uh, efficiency or relative because that's what everybody's using today, right? Pot still, yeah. but Dillinger when they rebuilt that plant, actually it was the Rosenblum family from Braddock that were liquor dealers prior to Prohibition. They rebuilt that plant uh, right around repeal to include not only a column distillery but a dedicated pot still distillery with its own fermenting house and two gigantic copper pot stills. One of 3,700 gallons and one of over 4,000 gallons. So talk about you're, you're involved with Barrel 21 right now? I'm involved with I'm involved with a number of distilleries around the country in terms of I call it consulting, but, but my brother says to be a consultant you have to be able to get money. And a lot of times I work for whiskey, so I don't okay. know if that's actually consulting or not. But I How do you check the box on your tax form? Whiskey. <laughs> whiskey. Um, I've worked with High West on their Wanship Distillery. Uh, the pot's still there, which is modeled after the one in Roughsdale, the ones in Roughsdale. 
Um, I've worked with Dad's Hat to formulate his Monongahela-style rye recipe. Which is delicious. Um, Which is phenomenal. I've worked with Stolen Wolf, who are over here, uh, to help them. So I've worked with a number of, of mostly startup distilleries, some of which have now gone on to become major distilleries that... Uh, I work with Michters out of Louisville because I have a background with the old Michters distillery here in Pennsylvania. So I have enough I have enough background knowledge and experience to make me just dangerous enough to be of interest to some other people, none of whom I have hurt um, in a major way at this point in time. So, I mean, people seek you out as a resource. Obviously, your knowledge, um, your experience, it also sounds to me like with that, we can expect perhaps more distilleries in Pennsylvania, at least, to come online that you may be sharing some information with. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, I mean, those have yet to come to my door. Um, I'm I'm kind of a tough guy to reach because I don't do social media. I'm not on. Facebook. You do have a website, though. Not sort of? active. Okay. Not active. I, I, I do. Uh, drinkyourwhiskey.blogspot.com, which I have never activated. Okay. Yes. So, you talked about the history. You talked about the entrepreneurship. Really, what do you feel like your place in the history of Pennsylvania whiskey, or what do you feel like your place in history is right now? And do, you, place, do you realize it? My place in history right now is to emphasize the importance of Pennsylvania's distilling heritage and its influence on American distilling. Uh, whenever I give a talk on Pennsylvania rye whiskey, I always tell people, if you are a native-born Pennsylvanian, rye whiskey is your heritage. Absolutely. It is part of who you are as a Pennsylvanian. But bourbon whiskey is your legacy. Our legacy to the world was bourbon whiskey. Because the now very, explain that, because people the, right now in Kentucky are probably their, their freaking Their heads out, right? are exploding. Right, right. But look at Jacob Spears, whose Peacock Distillery still exists on the Clay Kaiser Road north of Paris, Kentucky. Jacob Spears was came to Kentucky from Pennsylvania. He left Pennsylvania, even though Kentucky was a state by the time of the Whiskey Rebellion, it was further flung and harder to find by the revenue. Okay. So um, uh, distillers like Jacob Spears, Daniel Shawhan was another one who distilled in Allegheny County for quite some time before he went down the Ohio River. So some of the acknowledged, even the Kentuckians acknowledged these very early bourbon distillers had been rye distillers in Pennsylvania before that. So we sent some of the very first distillers to Kentucky to start bourbon distilling. So rye whiskey is our heritage, but bourbon whiskey is our legacy. So we'll, we'll identify... As Pennsylvanians. We'll identify Not as Kentucky. Kentuckians. And this is... I love Kentucky. <laughs> oh, I love Kentucky. I've been to Kentucky twice this year. The people are awesome. The distilling industry is beyond compare. But they wouldn't be where they are today if it hadn't been for the influence of the early Pennsylvania distillers. So we're referring to Kentucky as a sanctuary state. Yes, essentially. That, yeah, I mean, that's how they got the Essentially. Structure. Okay. It's it's much further flung. I, I think that what, and we, we talked to we talked to Jim Wolf from Stolen Wolf, and, I, and we talked a little bit about the Whiskey Rebellion Trail, and, and, and what does that really mean to Pennsylvania, and what does that mean to the craft distilling industry as, it, as it, we move well, forward with that? Well, it's... You know, in Kentucky, the craft distilling industry is is has its own trail. Yes. You know, the Kentucky craft 
the Sillers Trail. Right. Um, they've got the Urban Bourbon Trail. They've got the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. So people are already flocking to Kentucky. And the fact that there are legacy distillers in, in Kentucky that are really the drivers of that tourism industry, we don't have that here. So for us to put together the Whiskey Rebellion Trail brings some recognition to those Pennsylvania craft distillers, which is all we have. We have no legacy distillers here anymore. So um, it brings them some recognition that otherwise would pass them by, and I think um, emphasizes the importance, once again, of what happened here in Pennsylvania to the whiskey distilling landscape in America as we see it now. We had we had the most early influence on that. Um, Monongahela Rye Whiskey was the first appellation of any distilled spirit in the United States. Monongahela Rye Whiskey was the first whiskey that had a name hung on it because of its fame and its area. You know, the Monongahela Rye distillers were it until after the Civil War and really... I think there were factors during the Civil War that helped to convert Kentucky distillers to becoming the top tier and Pennsylvania distilling being left behind to some extent. Um, I think sweeter bourbon is easier to embrace for the average drinker than the spicier, than the spicier yeah, the more rye. challenging rye. And we're finding that now. I mean, I remember as a young man uh, drinking at the Longhorn Saloon in Smithton, PA, and we're talking about the late 70s. And there were still two brands of Pennsylvania rye whiskey available on the shelf. And I remember thinking, someday there won't be any. Wow. Someday there, there may not, we may not have anything here. And it almost, I mean, it was hanging on, rye whiskey was hanging on by the barest thread. You know, Jim Beam, thank God for Jim Beam that was still distilling a Kentucky version of rye whiskey. Um, so was Wild Turkey. The Russells, you know, Jimmy Russell was doing God's work there too. Booker No um, um, at Jim Beam doing rye whiskey. But if it hadn't been for those guys, it would have been gone. It would have been gone. So literally, we were down to two national brands when rye whiskey finally caught a spark again and took off. And look where we are today. Yeah, so from that time in the 1970s, you sitting in a bar looking at two bottles, you never expected the rye whiskey industry I to thought be it would back die, where would, it is today. And, and I was almost and look right. look at where it is. I, I mean, was almost right. It almost died. And now, you know, really, this is the rye whiskey is like the Isla to, to you know, to, to scotch. Right. Um, Isla is that challenging, flavorful, distinctive, love it or hate it kind of thing. And I think rye whiskey, to, to a certain extent, certainly it's not that polarizing, but it's sort of the same thing. It's not that sweet, happy bourbon. It's, it's a more in-your-face kind of a spirit. And it takes a different mindset to have you accept that, that difference. I think when you think about rye, first of all, I mean, you think about that was, that was our parents' or grandparents' choice, right? Yes. But today, when you embrace it, it's it's something totally different, something totally nuanced yes. that you really get to enjoy, and it has some co complexity, some character to it that really you can embrace today, even though Absolutely. maybe that, that that's where rye comes in. Absolutely, it, it's so embraceable as if you know you look at the different varietals in wine, and you look at you know we go to we can talk about terroir and we can talk sure. about you know where all this we, we, we talk to you know the wolves and, and what Stolen Wolf is doing uh, you know with the rose and rye. Yes. And that's only going to open up 
more of a an opportunity for these farmers to start Absolutely. producing these these grains. Yes, that, that we can now enjoy from a standpoint that that, that rye will be leading that. That, that, that part about where Pennsylvania is, right? Yes. What, what Pennsylvania produces that is going to introduce to the world, and they're going to say, wow, we embrace this. This yes. is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Where it, it finds itself on and, a national and I believe, stage. I, I still believe now that Pennsylvania rye could reassert its dominance in the landscape at some point in the future. I believe that the distillers that are making good rye whiskey now, uh, Dad's Hat, Stolen Wolf among them, are doing it because of a love of where they're from. It's a love of place. It's a love of it's a love of the land. It's a love of the farmers. It's it's just there's so much involved here and these people are so wedded to it emotionally. It's not like hey hey let's do this we can make a quick buck. And I know distillers who I believe got into the business in order to sell out and make a make a buck, and and that's fine. You don't begrudge that's them. That's fine. Right. I don't begrudge that's them a bit. God do. bless them, man. Right. God bless them. But the people that are in this for the love of it are the ones that I find more compelling. Well, let's face it. I mean, we talk about the farmers and the relationship that they start to build with the distillers, and you talk about the malters and the whole industry yes. that's just going to grow. Yes. But it's it, it's everybody's a family. You know, yes. If you have farmers that are going to start to grow different strains of corn and you know different rye and, and different you know bringing different products to the marketplace, that's going to grow for everybody. Yes. It's going to provide for everybody. Well, you know, one of those farmers is here tonight. Yeah. Mr. McDonald. Bob McDonald yes. is here, and he is doing, I believe he is doing more to help small distillers in Pennsylvania than any single farmer in the state. He's experimenting with Amazing. corn, all these new corns and everything And rye. Yep. He's going to be growing rose and rye exclusively now at his home farm. So it's exciting. Exciting times. Well, I'll tell you what, Sam, I'm, I'm grateful for your time. This is exciting for me to sit down with you, and I look forward to having you on the podcast where we can just talk for hours. Let's do it again sometime, sure. I I would love that. My pleasure. All right. It's one of the things I live for myself. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks very much. You're welcome. Thanks very much. Bob McDonald, Dancing Star Farms. So we've talked to a number of people here at Whiskey Smash who have talked about you. So we're here at West Overton Village, and you've created or you've grown the rye for what they're distilling. Correct. Right? Yeah, yes. Um, and, and people have mentioned you, and you are the one who's growing all of the grains right now that are going into a lot of what Pennsylvania is distilling. Correct. Yeah. So talk about what talk about you, and how did you get into the farming business and, and everything else? I've been a farmer all my life. We were originally a dairy farmer. When we got out of that, we went into grain and beef cattle. Now, I met your lovely wife, and I remember that transition from being a dairy farmer, and it was her idea to go into grain and cattle, yes? Yes. And she said to you what? Bob? We have to do something different. <laughs> we have to do something different. So the funny thing is here, we so, so you've come up in conversation a couple of times here at, at Whiskey Smash, and uh, the idea of being entrepreneurial has come up in a few t- a few times. Yeah. Do you feel entrepreneurial? Would you say you're an entrepreneur? No. See, I would. Because you know, you took when when was when was this that you went from dairy to grain and, and beef cattle? 
been about 10 years now. Been about 10 years. Yeah. So to me, that's entrepreneurial. And, and how does the transition come to being involved in the distilling industry and, and the things you're doing to help the craft distilling industry grow? I basically started with growing yellow heirloom corn to feed the cattle. Okay. It was cheaper. And it, it just basically snowballed into a... Well, I don't know what I really want to say, but I, I got two pounds of Bloody Butcher corn off of eBay because it was something different. I wanted to play around with it. I put it in a garden for a test plot, and you know, this year I had like 30 acres of it, harvested 2,000 bushel of it. So, so you went from a little bit off of eBay yeah. to all this Bloody Butcher corn. Correct. Now, what do you do with Bloody Butcher corn? What What is the significance? Why is that important? I mean, it's got a different flavor than your number two yellow. Okay. So I think it's kind of a spicier whiskey. There seems to be a demand for it, so basically, I'm trying to cater to whatever they want. If they if they want it, I'll grow it. Now you're doing other corns. It's not just the uh, yeah. yellow number two. It's not just the bloody butcher. You're trying other corns right now, yeah, right? I've got a blue corn, an Argentinian Creole, which is orange. I've got green corn. I've got um, Amanda Palmer, which came from Alan Bishop in the state of Indiana. I've got an old uh, heirloom corn that's called Cherokee White Eagle. It's new and upcoming. I've probably got maybe 10 different varieties. So do you have a lot of local, I mean, do you have breweries looking to to work with you, or is it just distilleries right now? I've got one brewery in my area that is malting it. Okay. And he makes beer for the Bedford Springs Hotel. They keep that on tap year-round. And what's the name of the beer? What's the name of the brewery? Do you remember? Um, Old Old Bedford Brewing. Okay. And the beer, I'm not quite sure. Okay. I don't know the name of it, but they keep it on tap year-round. So, really, what you're producing is for a lot of distilleries, and you're also growing rye. Correct, yeah. And you're growing rosin rye. Rosen rye. I just started growing rosin rye this year for Laura. Laura Fields. I've got two acres planted. You know, and, and let's face it, by the way, it's not just for Laura. It's 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 for everybody because we get to enjoy it once it's uh, once it's distilled. That's correct. Yeah, <laughs> she shares well. Hopefully next year we can plant ten or fifteen acres. Wow. Yeah. So so what is the rosen rye? What does the rosen rye mean to the industry? What how, why is that important? And what what is your uh, significance to that? I think everything is coming full circle. It, you know, this is what it used to be fifty, a hundred years ago, and everything's going back to. The, everybody wants to be different. Right. And they want to get their own little niche market. And, and they're looking for these different colored corns to find that. So that, so, all right, I'm just wondering for you and your wife and Dancing Star Farms, what does that mean to you when you start to see that people are asking you to start to grow all these other varietals of corn? And, and, and take me back, how does that feel? Like when you're when you're out on the tractor, because I see you have a great social media site. You're doing fabulous, you post like every day. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're telling, you, hey, listen, this is what the field looks like today. This is you out on the tractor. You're, you know, if you haven't, what, what's your Facebook page, by the way? Do you remember? Is it just Bob? McDonald. It's Robert McDonald. Robert McDonald. So yeah. you've got to you've got to check out uh, Robert McDonald's page. 
age. But, but what does it mean? How do you feel about where your place in the uh, the craft distilling industry and and producing the the, the grains that you are right now? I, I'm enjoying it. You know, I never thought ten years ago I'd be doing this. You know, kind of enjoying the ride. So so it's important because when you set out on a journey. You don't really know the destination. No. But the journey's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't this I mean, you're what what is what is this event what does this event Whiskey Smash mean to you? Coming up to meet the people that I work with and meet new people. It's it's exciting in a way. It's exciting, yeah. It, it's got to give you a little, like the you know, little hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you a little when pat you, in the back, you know. Yeah. yeah. When, when when you see a when you see a bottle that you know has your corn or or something you grew in it, how does that feel for you? Pretty good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you ever see it, that movie Field of Dreams? Yeah. Build it, and they will come. If you build it, they will come. So if you grow it. Somebody will buy it. Somebody will buy it. So do you right now have people asking you specifically if you can find things to grow? Is it getting to that point? No, not yet. So right now, it's it's really, you're creating a footprint. You're starting to grow things and saying, listen, I have this if you want to try it. Yeah. And if you like it, we'll expand what we're, what we're growing. Yeah. Okay. Are there things that you uh, are, are still on the lookout that you want to start to grow? I'm looking for something new every year. You seem to be like now this corn connoisseur or this grain connoisseur, right? Yeah. I don't think I don't think there are a lot of farmers right now doing what you're doing, especially you know specifically trying to satisfy the distilled craft distilling industry. No, everybody wants to grow the number two yellow, right? Take it to the market, you know, get a check for it, and they're done with it, right? You know, this is a year-round process. You, know, you store all year long until somebody wants it, and you know. So, so do you see, you know, what, what's the growth now? What, what does the next 10 years look like for Dancing Star Farms? I have no idea. You have no idea. No you just gonna, you and your wife are just going to enjoy the ride, right? We're enjoying the ride. Yeah, that's fabulous. Well, I'll tell you what. It, it's like I said at, at the beginning of our interview. It, when, when people are mentioning you and people are giving you credit yeah. for what they're producing, that's a very nice compliment. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of people here at Whiskey Smash yeah. that have paid you a lot of compliments, Thank especially you. when they take what somebody else has distilled, put it to their lips and drink it, yeah. and they enjoy it. And now they can understand the rich history behind what's going into that bottle. Bob, I, I'm truly, I'm glad. I mean, we met you at the Rose and Rye event at Stone Wolf, and yes. uh, I'm glad to have you spend some time on the podcast. Is there anything else you want to share? Maybe anything I didn't ask you at all? Other than to look me up on the social media. Look, look you up. Check out what you're doing. Check out what I'm doing that day. All right. Go back to enjoying Whiskey Smash. Thanks, thanks for a few minutes of spending time with us. Okay. Thank you. Bye.